Hello everyone, this is a quick intro for this special series called The Unbelievable House. This series is the story of a pastor called Bernard Cheney. He's a pastor of Believer's House Worldwide Ministries, and he has abused church members and children at the church and school that he runs. This episode is the beginning of the stories from church members of the abuse that they experienced, saw, and Cheney is under investigation, but he has not been charged yet. Please listen to this series and help us bring justice to survivors of this abusive situation. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and today my guest is Sojuana Coleman. She is on the show to talk about her experiences of being a part of a church with an abusive pastor and the crimes and abuses that were covered up in this church. Thank you for coming on the show. How are you today? How are you doing today, Sojuana? Hello, Andrew. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm doing very well um, today, and I'm just grateful that you have took an interest in our story to get it out there. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, yes, you're welcome. And, you know, as we get into the interview, you know, I know specifically we want to talk about this church that you were a part of for a long time. And so I guess we'll start in the beginning of the story. So, like, what first attracted you or how did you get involved with this toxic church? Well, when I first came to the church, it was around 2003, I'm going to say, maybe even 2002. I'm not real good with dates. Um, Well, I know 2005 I left. I'm good with that date. (laughs) I was in, I was living in New York at the time I had my two sons with me and things were just not good there. And I had a cousin who I grew up very, um, we were very close growing up. He lived there. He'd always told me good things about the church. So and I was looking for a change and we had talked on the phone. And um, at the time I was, um, I was gonna, when I first was gonna go, a snowstorm came and we missed the bus. So about a week later, I just got the, you know, the urgency, I was like, I gotta go, I gotta get out of here. So I just packed up me and the boys and we went up to the church, um, the Church of Believers House Worldwide Ministry in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, and when you first get there, the thing that gets you is the the welcome. I mean, the way they welcome you, that everybody was really nice. The energy was really good. You saw people getting, you know, blessed. You saw people that would, you know, get mo- give money away, give cars away, give houses away, pay people bills. So when, to me, coming from a place of just, I'm gonna say I was I was somewhat damaged because I was coming out of a bad situation. When I got there, it was just a pleasant atmosphere to see people being, you know, blessed and then just welcoming you. And and um, at the time, I didn't realize it was a setup. Yes, in these toxic churches and even in cults, is this tactic called love bombing, and it's where in the beginning they do so many wonderful things for you to get you hooked in and really dependent on them and really trick you into trusting them and really feeling like you owe them something because of things they've done for you. And then after the love bombing stage is over, 
that's when things really change and it happens a lot in religions cults and even in relationships too and i think it is important to bring awareness to these different tactics that these toxic um environments can do and so you know what red flags did you see at this church of the abuse and toxic things that were going on well the thing that that um that really helped me was i was actually raised in the church so i I didn't go in uh, become a member there without knowing anything you know i knew i knew some of the word i'd been in in the church the majority of um growing up you know all out of high school life or in, i mean in school so i knew certain things that were just not right like one of the, the major things that that i that threw a red flag up was paying to get out of a fast i had never in my life even heard that and i knew that it was not it wasn't right you know fasting is a personal thing that you do you know with god and for god it's not something that should be you should have to give money to get out of it. Either you want to do it for him or you don't. Um, another thing is we had a service one night where he was teaching teaching people how to um, speak in tongues. I thought that was very strange. thought it was very odd. And I'm like, you know, speaking in tongues, that's a gift from God. That ain't something that man can teach you. And even the word says that when you speak in tongues, there needs to be an interpreter. So... I just kind of felt like that. That was a little odd. And then when we were, when things got really heavy, um, we had a service where we were told by the pastor that everyone needs to come in with their check stub. So to make sure that nobody in the church was cursed with a curse. Because that's one of the, this, the the thing is he would use that word and twist it and, and make people, you know, think that they're going to bust hell wide open if they didn't listen to what he said and the object was for you to come in to make sure you were paying the right amount of tithe so that if you if you wasn't paying tithes then you wasn't going to be a church member because you were going to be cursed with a curse so all those things really just started leading up to me um getting up out of there I guess what I want to know more is could you tell me a little bit more about the pastor and his behaviors and like how long um, did you know this pastor and what was your impression of him and how did that impression change or stay the same? Well, I, I wasn't there as, as long as some. Uh, it was just, just, you know, a few years. When I first got there, I did think it was strange because like I stated earlier, I came to live with my cousin. We When we grew up, we were very close. I did think it was strange that he warned me even before I met the pastor not to say anything negative about the pastor but you know like I said I wasn't in my right frame of mind as far as just really focusing I just had a desire to come and you know be at the church because I know what it is you know to um to spend time with God um when I met the pastor he just seemed like he was a nice guy um feared that he you know did a lot for the congregation and I thought he had all these you know gifts and callings and and maybe he did. That's between him and God. Um, when when he started doing things that was just a little bit, uh, well, hey, it was just crazy. I, I My view of him changed a lot. One of the things was um, he used to go around with a, a taser, a stun gun, whatever you want to call him. 
and he would just seem like he would want to, you know, try to tase people and stuff. And one of the the craziest things that he's done was he had this thing. It was a scripture in the Bible about, you know, when someone hits you, you need to turn the other cheek. And he would haul off and just slap the hell out of people and expect for them to turn the other cheek. Now, everybody's not turned the other cheek. So I did witness him hit a young lady. She was sitting in church and, you know, the church was by the, the church was empty. She was just there. And he was, he walked up to her and just, you know, slapped the fire out of him. And, but it was his way of, of wanting to make it seem like, are you, you know, do you have a good relationship with God? Because if you have a good relationship with God, you should be able to turn the other cheek. And I just, and I just thought that was, you know, was crazy. And one day uh, when I'm, my, my cousin, his wife and I, we couldn't really get along and I left and I winded up uh, staying with a young lady who let me and the kids stay there until I left uh, for good. But they, the, the church had went out of town. And when they come back, I had already, you know, left from my cousin's house, saluted with this young lady. And the pastor was like, well, that's, I haven't talked to you. You wasn't supposed to leave. You were supposed to stay where you were. And I thought that was crazy because it was like people had to get permission to go home. I had a best friend who, who got killed while I was there. And they were trying to tell me where you, you know, you're not covered. You're not up under this covering. You know, if you get out up under covering, anything can happen. And I wasn't asking for permission to go home. I was going to go home. And actually I should have just followed my first mind because had I went home then and, you know, took my kids, I wouldn't have came back. But I wind up, you know, just, just going home. And I thought it was, I thought it was very odd that the pastor was like, you know, you're not going to be covered, but then you hand me $200 to go home. So that just sound that just, you know, looked crazy and sounds crazy. You know, you don't agree with what I'm doing, but here's just some money to get you there. So it, it's things like that. And and then at the end, I really just kind of, just kind of got dis- disgusted with the, the, the way it seems like he was just really arrogant and, um, just like his word, it, you know, the only way for you to get to God was through him. Now, mind you, I, I wasn't, um, I, I spoke a little bit earlier about being in leadership, being in leadership, you know, meaning that you're like, uh, you get promoted from what I was, which is, was a lay member through like a deacon, junior deacon, missionary, um, elder, things like that. And those were the people who were really close to him. And those were the people, a lot of those people suffered the most. And you will hear their stories, you know, as we continue with the series. Yeah, that is just insane to me how he would use his spiritual authority to really abuse people and extort money out of people too. And... I just want to know, like, what other abuse did you see him commit at the church? My biggest issue with him right now is the abuse that happened at the academy that was connected to the church. Um, And I didn't see a lot of things because, like I said, I wasn't in leadership. Leadership, they would have meetings, you know, after church. At one time, uh, well, while I was there, we had three church services, you know, back to back to back. And the academy was was at the church and if you most most leadership i'm not saying all of them but most leadership 
worked at the at the church. I don't think anybody besides myself was not in leadership that I can remember right off the top of my head. Maybe it was a few people, but um, and if you were in leadership, you know, you were required to to give. I mean, frankly, give everything. Give you know, give most of your money. Um, I was told they was having yard sales, so people would give their, um, you know, furniture things of value away. I remember where we were having a fundraiser to boast about this land for the church and people were going and taking second mortgages out of their homes and giving their wedding rings and stuff like that. So all of that, and it's, you know, just to prove that, that, that you worthy of the kingdom. A lot of that, um, went on a lot. Um, but when, when I found out about the abuse that was at the Academy, which was the voice of believers Christian Academy, that's what started the, movement that we're all involved in because we found out that children were being abused you know emotionally physically then you know there's been some allegation of sexual abuse but this this man was allowed to come and go in class when he got ready he would tell certain you know certain kids don't talk to that child he was he was bringing about the bullying he allowed a child to get away with a lot of you know, very unbehaving. What I was saying is that he he himself was part of the bullying when he would tell one child not to talk to the to the other child. You know, you would bring about that insecurity in the children, and then the the, the one of the children who was doing you know inappropriate behavior, instead of him kicking this child out of the school, he didn't. He he would in, in so many ways reward him because people looked at. Uh, the pastor as if he was a God. He was the only way to get to God was through him. So if you were, you know, invited to his house, that was just like, oh my goodness, that's something exciting or something that's a blessing. So to me, I think he was, he was just, it was the worst thing that he could have ever done was opening Voice of Believers Christian Academy because educationally, a lot of the kids were cheated because we've had, even even the teachers there were not qualified to teach. And this is not me throwing any shade at anybody. It's just, that's just the truth. I don't think any of them were qualified to teach. They were in those meetings, those quote unquote leadership meetings so long that they were tired. I had a teacher to tell me that he, uh, he would get in there and go to sleep. The kids would say how they were tired and went to sleep because they were very sleep deprived. And, and that's, that was one of the things how, he was able to manipulate a lot of those in leadership because you're, you're hungry because you're fasting all the time from, from what I understood. I know we were asked to fast a lot, but I was, like I said, I wasn't in leadership, but leadership was fasting all the time, seven days a week, probably 20 hours a day. They're, they were given everything they had. Um, then they're in these meetings, four or five hours, hungry, no sleep. So what do you think is going on? That's that's exactly what he's doing. Is that that's part of the manipulation, and I, I think in so many ways the kids suffered because a lot of their parents were in leadership meetings, but they in, in their minds all those parents was thinking that, well I'm you know I'm doing it for the love of God. I'm doing it because of God, not because I'm trying to worship a man, even though they were. But in your mind you're thinking that, you know it's like the Jim Jones syndrome. If you ever saw that movie. I mean, it was just almost the, how the manipulation started. That's almost identical. Yes. And so 
I'm curious about the people that he brought to his house. Did you know anything about that, what he did with them there? Was he also abusive, or did you not know what happened at his house? I've, um, I've only been to his house, I'm going to say maybe twice. One time was for get-together. The other time, um, my cousin that uh, that I was there with, he had started like a cleaning business, and we went out there to clean the house. Um, from what I understand, he would have parties, you know, from what I learned now, not compared to then, because I really didn't care then, um, but there would be, you know, drugs involved, there would be drinking involved. I remember a young lady telling me that, because he had a pool at one of the homes he was in, that he allowed them to get in the pool with long skirts on. And I was like, what? She said, yeah, it, it was, you know, it's just crazy. I just guess he, he would, um, I do know at his homes, the time that I was there, that he lived there with his wife, but he would have a handful of single women that lived there with them. And from what I was told, um, and if I have to say alleged, that's fine, but I'm all, I'm always open to anybody that feels like that I'm just defaming someone's character. But um, I was told that he would have them there to pray over him because the enemy was attacking him all the time. Now, what his wife was doing, I, I guess she just didn't pray enough or something, but that's that was one of the reasons why he kept the young single women there. And that's the reason that's odd, Andrew, is because now, rewind, my, mind you, I stayed with my cousin and his wife. There was another young lady that lived there with her son when I first got there. And when they would leave from from church at night, late at night, I would already have been home. I would have left with my cousin's wife. The other young lady who was in leadership and my cousin, they would drive home together, but she couldn't sit in the front seat with him. She had to sit in the back seat because the single woman could ride with a married man. But you got this married man with all these single women that lives in his house. There was a lot of um, crazy stuff like that going on. And if you didn't have some type of sense of, um, of, of a relationship with God, you, would, you wouldn't even think nothing wrong with it. You wouldn't because that's how deep the manipulation was. It was made to believe, oh, well, if the pastor said it was okay, then it's okay. We're, we're good with this since the pastor says it's okay. And so were there any other church members that did question or did most of them just go along with it? I heard of a family that left, I guess, right before I came. The thing was, if you said anything against the man of God, you were almost shunned. Um, he would tell people to cut you off. There would be, you know, folks would just stop talking to you or, and this is the most, one of the most horrific things that I think that could, a person should do. He would even have people to go to the graveyard and pray death on people and their children. When you didn't follow the rules, you had to pay. You, you were alienated. You were left fend for yourself and, and, he would talk about you. Um, I wish one of the gentlemen who was a, was the barber there, I'm hoping he will be able to come um, on the show as well because he would just tell this guy everybody's business. Now, you're the pastor of this church, and you're talking about everybody. You're telling everybody's business, you know, and you're sleeping with everybody's wife. So we hadn't even got to that part. But it's there were people that 
you know, question stuff. And let me just say this, from what I understand and, and the conversations that I've been, um, I've been very fortunate to talk to some people that really was, was in it. Um, every leader didn't always know what was going on because there were certain people that I guess the pastor knew wasn't going to go for it. And so even though they were in leadership, they didn't go on a quote unquote special trip. Uh, they didn't get to go to the house to the special parties. There were some that knew and there was others that knew more. And I, um, but if you went and said anything against the pastor, you were going to catch hell. Yes. I'm definitely seeing a lot of cult-like behavior already. And it is very common in cults and in toxic religions where if someone doesn't fall in line or conform, you're shunned. And it's really just so people won't question and people don't want to question. It just makes them uncomfortable. And anyone who doesn't exactly fall into line is seen as like evil or bad because there's such this extreme us versus them mindset or just a black and white um, mindset. And also the way that he would just put himself on a pedestal it sounds like and really how people worshipped him and I've seen that a lot with um, different cults and talks to religions how people really see their leader as if he's an enlightened being or almost as if he's God himself and you know the danger of that is you know you're not allowed to question that and that individual is not accountable to anyone. And, you know, from what you're saying about him, like he really sounds like such a hypocrite with what he would do at his home and sleeping around, partying, doing drugs and things. And, you know, and then he would come back to church and preach at people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly right. He, and he, he was very much a hypocrite and mm-hmm. that he, he didn't, he had that mind control to the point where people would tell him what other people were doing. Oh my, wow. And I'm sure he did that by trying to make them feel special, I'm sure. Um, and that, because he convinced them that he's the good guy. So they have to report to him because he's a good guy and anyone against him is bad. And another like trend I've seen with these religious leaders is that they use slander to really control the narrative of the per- of the whistleblower, really. They make that person look bad so that they won't be held accountable um, for anything. And they try to get as many people on their side. And once they do that, it's very easy to excommunicate that person. And then that person can continue abusing people. I'm just curious, like, where, what is this pastor doing now? Where is he at? As far as I know, he's still there um, over the church. Now, the church has um, dwindled down drastically since since we left. Um, and it's not as many members. Thank you, God, for that. But as far as I know, he is still the pastor at Believers House Worldwide Ministries, and they still have the Academy, Voice of Believers Christian Academy, up and running. I don't think there's as many kids as it was back when um, 
when we were all there in, in you know, 2004, 2005. But it's the fact that the, 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 the academy is still open is very, very heartening, heartbreaking. And that's what, that's our biggest fight. The one thing I really, you know, wanted everybody to know is that a lot of bad stuff happened at Voice of Believers House Worldwide Ministry. But our goal is to expose everything that happened with the children. That is that is why we, we have protested. Uh, we continue protesting. We have an active um, investigation still to this day. We've been on, we've been doing it for two years, but you know, this man has been doing this for over 25 years. So we just have to, uh, you know, just be patient and, and let the let the police do what they do. Now the academy hasn't been open 25 years, but um, the, the the church has. And I'll say this: something that you spoke on was that he don't have to be held accountable because he does. He's the only person up there. There's nobody to go. And, you know, report to, like I was raised in a Methodist church. If, if the preacher didn't do or something happened, you could go to the person above, you know, above him. And then there was also a presiding elder above him. So there was there was a chain of command to go to to get things done. At Believer's House, this this guy started his church in, the, in his room um, and it grew. And there's there's no one for him to answer to so whatever he says that's how it's going to be it's not you know we can call up the the convention and and you know report him the only thing we could do is what we you know what we've done now is just expose it or get a criminal case started because this his behavior has been unaccepting and the fact that kids were involved um really 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 like i said it's very heartbreaking and for the investigation, have they found anything substantial? They've they've have a lot of statements from victims. What the detective wants is something lock solid, and because even though some of the the, the statements are are you know are very <clears throat> are, are terrible, it was it's been ten fifteen years for some of the people that have left stuff that happened you know back then trying to get the academy closed is the you know one of the big things to to us and that's just taking its time because well they couldn't really find it they couldn't find what the academy was and then they said that the academy no longer existed when we found out it did he's been you know kind of hiding every time we would go and do a protest there they would stop going to the church and it would, it would be where, you know, they would just, I guess, not go for a while until we stopped protesting, and then eventually they would get back to the church. But there there is a lot of um, things going on with the investigation, you know, that we're limited to say. So I'm 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 very hopeful that, that things are going to uh, happen in our favor, and definitely in the kids' favor, not necessarily our in the kids' favor, because they didn't deserve what they got. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so how often do y'all protest at this place? When we first started, we um we were we were there twice a year since we've been there. We haven't been this year. I think we've because we've done several protests. We've done a march. Uh we went and spoke to the detectives and, and turned some 
stuff in and, and give us some information on some things that we needed. So, but we're, we're going to keep going back as much as we have to, because we come from, you know, from all over. We have some people that live there that come out and protest. I live in Alabama. Sonia lives in Rhode Island. Tiffany lives in, in Florida. Jay lives in Georgia. So whenever we get a chance, you know, outside of and just trying to take care of our, our normal life, we we get together and we just go and, and do what we need to do. And is there something that other people can do to help you bring justice and light to this case? Um, if, there's a, if it's a student that went to the academy, we ask that you come forward and go and talk to the detective about, you know, things that happened to you. You don't have to... Um, you don't have to reach out to one of us per se, but we would definitely give you the information to the people that you need to talk to. You know, your name and things will stay private. And whatever it is that you can um, bring to the table to, to, you know, give us some advice on some things, let us know or, or just throw some ideas with us. We, we are open to any and every advice we can get that is going to get justice for the children. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. So for viewers and listeners out there, I'll put the contact info for them. And if a survivor uh, wants to come forward, you can contact them and they will help um, get you justice and to uh, protect your identity and your safety. And, you know, and I'm just curious because would you be open to people helping y'all protest? Oh, absolutely. We the 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 funny thing is when we first did this in twenty twenty, our very first protest, as a matter of fact, let me just rewind a little bit and explain to you how we even got started. The young lady, like I spoke to you, said earlier, her mom is on the line tonight, um, Sonia. Uh unfortunately her daughter was killed now, you know, Mother's Day of twenty twenty. And like I'll let her, you know, tell that story. Um but in the, the, you know, in the mix of, of her, this happening, she um, made a Facebook page called You Are Not Alone, and she did a live, and in the she was, you know, just speaking about some things that her daughter had left in her diary, some things that it went through, and the, the some of the kids, and I remember the kids because they were just, you know, same age as my kid. One young lady left a comment that says, "We were all, um, we were all hurt, we were all abused." And I just thought that was strange. So I just kind of started reaching out to people that I could remember who were, who were in in leadership and asking them, you know, like, do you know anything that went on at the academy? But when I asked my own children, that's when I found out that they had witnessed some things and some things that happened. And let's just say it wasn't a good thing for me to find out. I, I think the thing that saved a lot of stuff was that, you know, I was, I was driving a truck and I wasn't able to get on. And my best friend Tiffany that, you know, she's on here, you know, we talked and we had to talk and she, she got another pastor. He called, you know, he was praying for me and stuff. Cause I just, at the time I was seeing red, but and finding this out after, you know, the statement was made, we all kind of got together and, went to Birmingham, I mean, not Birmingham, Lord, went to Norfolk, Virginia. We all met up there and, you know, got in front of the church and, and protested. And they they went all around the sidewalk and just, you know, wrote stuff and they bought signs and balloons the next day. 
Yes, yeah, so I definitely want to like help organize um, some kind of like sign up form where people can come and protest whenever y'all are because I would definitely love to join and get other um, people involved. And, you know, has the media helped at all with this or given it attention? Everyone, sorry, we're having technical difficulties, but I'll edit all that stuff out. Um, right now, we have Tiffany, who has joined to help finish the interview since we have audio issues on Sajuana's end. And I know the last thing we were talking about um, was what can people do to help? And we we're talking about like going down and people can help by protesting um, at this church. And y'all were saying that y'all were open to that. And, you know, I'm just curious. I think y'all said y'all go around twice a year and, like, would y'all be up? And I can even help y'all, but um, if y'all wanted me to, but help organize a protest for other people to join and help y'all with bring justice. Um, I think that Shawana would definitely be, I mean, all of us would be definitely open to that. Um, like she said previously, we do try to go at least twice a year. Um, as she previously stated, we're all in different states, so our schedules don't always connect, but we do try to go at least, at least twice a year, and we will definitely be open to any um, positive support that will bring awareness to the situation that has transpired with these children at the academy, which is, um, again, to reiterate what Shawana was saying, which is why the movement began, because there were children involved, and we wanted to help bring awareness and justice for those children so that those children could begin to have some kind of resolve and lead happy, healthier lives. Um, because if anybody would go back and look at the earlier content, they would see that, you know, there was quite some distress and a lot of these now adult children at that time um, are, you know, really trying to get over and live through. So any help that um, can bring awareness to the situation, um, we would, you know, definitely, definitely um, welcome it with open arms. And I'm sure Shawana and anybody with the movement would agree. Yes, and so remind me of the name of this ministry again. The ministry is called um, Believer's House Worldwide Ministries. It's located in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. Um, and um, we're not sure if they're still holding services at that particular location. Mm -hmm. But um, when we do go down, we do protest at their last known location. And from the neighbors in the neighborhood, um, we can confirm that, you know, when we're not there, they are holding service. And so once we're there and we hold protests, of course, they don't come to the church, which is fine with us. Yeah. But we still want to bring awareness to the neighborhood and, you know, bring awareness to what is going on in this particular ministry. And, um, and in the children in the ministry, um, first and foremost, and there are still children in that, that are in that ministry but um, due to the huge control factor that takes place in this ministry, you know, those parents or those children are just not in the right frame of mind to try to seek help or want to seek help because they think that what they're doing is, you know, in the will of God. And for those of us that have um, allowed God to really be in our lives, have, you know, grasped hold of the fact that that is just not the right way. And it is, in fact, the cult. And and I will say that it is, in fact, the cult. So. We try to bring awareness to, you know, we want to bring awareness to the fact that there are children still there. And this is, you know, if you see the product of the children that came out of the ministry, 
you just, you want to try to save each and every child that's there. And so, you know, we just push forward to that and hope that at some point that there will be a resolve, but we're not, we're never going to stop. We're always going to, you know, keep pushing and, and keep moving forward and believing that God will bring resolution to this situation. So that's our goal. Mm -hmm. And yes, I know y'all said y'all protested. Do y'all have pictures of y'all protesting that someone has taken either with their phone or something? Oh, yes. There's tons of, um, there's tons of the photos that so many others have either taken or sent to Shawana or have they been posted on Facebook. Um, everything that we do is, is always on social media so that it's in a platform that everyone can see it. Yeah. Um, nothing that we do is hidden. We don't do anything with a hidden agenda. So there are tons mm -hmm. of pictures yeah. um, from the first time that the, I w unfortunately was not able to be there um, because I have a hectic work schedule. So I wasn't able to be there for the first March. And I mean, the first protest, I'm sorry, I was there for the March, but it was a huge success. Mm -hmm. And there are tons of video on social media. If anybody wants to go and look at Shawana's page mm -hmm. um, or um, I think Sonia, I mean, Sonia has, uh, things on her page mm -hmm. and their pages are open to the public so you guys mm -hmm. can can take a look at that you know those yeah. videos and mm -hmm. those interviews that took place and there is a local um reporter that um does kind of uh, like underground reporting mm -hmm. that has joined the cause as well and there's there's um videos with her on social media mm -hmm. so those things are definitely open that anyone anyone mm -hmm can definitely look at those videos and mm -hmm. you can just see, you know, in the interviews with the children, now adults, um, and you definitely want to join the cause. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so, you know, I really, really would love to help continue to help y'all seek justice and bring awareness to this. So I'm curious, like, would y'all be open to maybe like setting up like a Facebook page dedicated to this and like uploading the content and maybe even editing the content and video together into some kind of like video slash documentary um, type thing. Absolutely. Um, and I show, I know Shawana, I hate that her mic went out, but I'm sure that that is, you know, something that is her heart's desires because she's been personally affected um, by this whole movement. So it's mm -hmm. really, really near and dear to her and not just her, but she wants resolution for all the children. So if that's something that you're willing to do to help us mm -hmm. even get more exposure to what's going on, we mm -hmm. would definitely be open to that. So yes, we really do appreciate. Oh it. yes, mm -hmm. of course. Like I, I love doing this, and I would also I want to try to connect y'all with several more people because um, there is a podcast called Preacher Boys, and it is hosted by this guy named Eric and he really also gets involved with justice and he has a lot of followers too. And I think he can also help bring awareness. So I'll get y'all in contact with him. And honestly, I'm hoping, you know, he's really, really busy, but if he, if he can't get back to y'all, um, I'm still want to help y'all put together that video and make that Facebook page and if I make a video, I'm hoping maybe he can repost it because he has a good following and people that would love to join with the march and help y'all seek justice. And uh, I just love everything um, that y'all are doing um, to continue fighting for justice and trying to protect these children. And it's just, it's so devastating um, when you know that an abuser has access to children and you can't stop them and you're trying to so desperately and 
you know, I just continue to hope that as y'all seek justice and how does I help y'all that we can finally get the justice that these children and other people who've been abused at this church um, deserve. Um, I want to thank y'all for coming on the show. Is there anything else you would like to say to anyone? Um, I'll put your social media links um, in the bio and I'll continue talking with y'all about setting up a Facebook um, group and like figuring out like the name of it and maybe coming up with some kind of hashtag to bring awareness to maybe to this situation. Is there anything else? Yeah, is there anything else you would like to say? No, no, no. I mean, I'm just kind of stepping in, you know, and just kind of, you know, reiterating what Shawana was saying and, Mm -hmm. you know, just in support of her, um, first and foremost. Um, She is my sister, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, all of the help that you could possibly give um, would be greatly, greatly appreciated, Mm -hmm. not just for myself, but, you know, all of the ex-members that are there and all of the members that are there now um, who we stand in the gap for and we seek justice for. And um, unfortunately, you know, I just kind of briefly heard Sonya's voice is kind of out, but her story is very powerful. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure that at some point, you know, that once her story is, once she tells her story, yeah. that even more people will want to join the cause. Um, so again, we're just really, really grateful. Um, the social media page would be an amazing, amazing mm-hmm. thing to, to have yeah. happen. And, um, you know, any anybody that, you know, hears this once you've um, put it out there that's mm-hmm. willing to help, we're all able to be reached um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, we may not answer at that time, but we definitely, um, we we are open arms to anybody that's willing to help this cause and, and push forward and get help justice for the now adults and the children that are still remaining mm-hmm. in that ministry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so I think definitely I want to make this like a series and have each interview one after other to continue each week um, to hear the stories in order and to continue bringing awareness. 